Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Genesis chapter 8 verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. How many know the earth is still here? Now that's your question. The earth is still here, right? How many know heat is still here? I just stepped outside a moment ago. Ooh, it's hot because I stepped right back inside. <laughs> heat is still here. Summer is definitely here right now. So if all those things still exist, so does seed time and harvest. As we shared during the Harvest Checkup series, the law of seed time and harvest is an inter- eternal principle. It is still in operation today. What you sow, you reap. It rules more than natural farming practices and finances. This spiritual law affects everything in existence. So now Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, say whatsoever. whatsoever. Say it one more time. Whatsoever. One additional one. Whatsoever. A man sows. That shall he also reap. New Living Translation says it this way. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So what is the justice of God? Sowing and reaping. The justice of God is you reap what you sow. A lot of things people say, well, I messed up, so God did this to me, or God did that, God did this. And they blame God for something they initiated. They sowed a seed, and they got a harvest, and they blame God. Now, when you look at the Old Testament or certain phrases, and it's like, the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and we read it in the King James in our English understanding, and we think that God himself personally did that to that person or did that to the nation. But when you look at it and study it more, it is more indirect responsibility. That God put this law in existence before the world began, that whatever you sow, you will reap. And so when you look, especially in the Old Testament, when nations would do certain things, things would come on the nation. It's not because God didn't like that nation, didn't like those people. They just sowed seed, so they reaped a certain harvest. The justice of God, say the justice of God, is you will reap what you sow. So a lot of times, it's not even God doing things. Majority of times, it's not God doing something. It's just people receiving the harvest of what they planted. Sometimes people blame stuff on the devil, and the devil didn't initiate it either. It's what you sowed. So the justice of God is sowing and reaping. And it was his law of seed time and harvest that's in the earth that brings things back to you, whether good or bad. See, another word for harvest is simply judgment. A lot of times when people hear the word judgment, they get afraid and nervous. And judgment's not bad if you're doing what's right. Because if you're in your court case and the judgment was in your favor, that's a good thing. People just don't like judgment when it's against them. Judgment and harvest are biblically synonymous terms. It just simply means you reap what you sow, whether it is good or bad. Verse 8 says, For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption means decay, destruction, and ruin. When you talk about sowing to your flesh, it means the fallen, sinful human nature. The fallen, sinful human nature. When you were born again, when he asked Jesus to come into your heart, when you were saved, you made heaven your home, your spirit became born again. You are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and the control center for your emotions, and you live in a natural body. So although people have these cute church songs that when I got saved, you know, everything was new, you know, my hands were new, my feet was new, my weave was new too, you know, it's cute, but that didn't change. Your spirit changed. You still have the same body. You still have the same mind. You still have the same soul. So that's why you can have believers behave badly. They're saved. They're going to heaven, but they never change their mind to think how God thinks. And they're just doing whatever their body tells them to do. So that's why they still look like the rest of the world. So if you sow to the fallen nature, you sow to the flesh's ways, you're going to reap the flesh's result. Because your body left unchecked can do things that will bring you close to death. 
because your body's desires aren't always right. Some desires are right, some aren't. And some desires are just ill-timed. How many of you ever woke up in the middle of the night and your body said, you know, that pie that's in the refrigerator <laughs> would be really good right now. It's like, oh no, I'm out of dessert. Well, I got Uber Eats. I don't even have to leave my house. They can bring the dessert that I don't need at this time of day to my house right now. And your body will call for those things. Your body will long for certain things, but it doesn't mean you should have it at this point in time. So your body left unchecked can bring destruction to your life. Or as it says here, corruption, which is decay, destruction, and ruin. That's why this series we're teaching at 1130 is called Ruins, the Harvest You Don't Want. Ruins, the Harvest You Don't Want. Not every harvest is good. It's like not every judgment is bad. You can sow seeds and reap a harvest you don't want. And then Paul, Paul goes on and says, but if you sow to the Spirit, the ways of the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit life everlasting. He's not talking about eternal life. If you're saved, you got eternal life on the inside of you. That's already handled. It's in your spirit right now. You're going to live forever. But eternal life here is not talking about life everlasting. It's not talking about the quantity. It's talking about the quality. The quality of life is life as God has it. That if you sow to the rays of the Spirit, you'll reap life as God has it. You'll reap joy. You'll reap peace. You'll reap understanding. You'll reap wisdom. You have to think about God. Is God defeated? No. Is God depressed? No. Then that means you're reaping victory and joy. Is God sick and broke? No. So you're reaping health and prosperity. It's all about what you sow. In the very beginning, when we read the book of Genesis, one of the things we see, God gave Adam and Eve choice. He gave them authority, and he gave them seed. You still have authority. You still have choice, and you still have seed. So what produces in your life is not always up to God. It's up to what you sow. So before we look at another set of seeds, we looked at some set of seeds last week in a mess called fire and pineapples. But today, we're going to look at another set of seeds. But before I show you this other set of seeds, I want to remind you of your identity. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll act like everyone else. You'll act like anyone else. I heard someone say before, it's a shame to be born original and die a copy. And a lot of times, we end up looking like the rest of the world because we don't know who we are. So I'll remind you one thing about your identity. Go to Revelation chapter 1 with me. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 5 and 6 of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus made you a king. He made you royalty. You are kings and priests. As soon as you're born again, you are washed from your sins. So your sins don't exist anymore. But you weren't just washed from your sins. Jesus made you royalty. Say, I am royalty. Now say it like you believe. Say, I am, I am royalty. royalty. Now let's look at one of the songs they sing in heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. When it's talking about rain here in this song, they're talking about after the tribulation is done with, when they come back to the earth. But notice what they sing in heaven. They sang, Jesus, you made us kings. Jesus, you made us priests. In front of the king of kings. In front of the king of everything. The God of the universe. In front of his throne, those in heaven said, you made us kings too. Because why? Jesus is the king of kings. And the Lord of lords, you're the kings and the lords. He's king and lord over. Say, I am royalty. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're royalty. 
He made you kings and priests. See, the thing is, if they can be in heaven and call themselves kings, you might as well call yourself royalty on earth Amen. and think that way and live that way. 1 Peter 2, 9 says it this way, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But one thing's from this passage notice, you're a royal priesthood, not just a priesthood, a royal one. Say, I am royalty. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. You are royalty. You're as royal as Jesus is. You're as royal as your heavenly father is. You know, we all know stories with the Queen of England, but her son is as much royal as she is. His kids are as much royal as she is. The baby who was just born is as much royal as she is. The whole family is royal. And if on earth we have a natural example of how it doesn't matter how many kids are born in the family, if the whole family is royal, what makes you think your heavenly father's family is any different? Your royalty is the same as his. Say, I am royalty. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned by one, much more they, they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, is what you receive when you're born again, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So not only are you going to reign when you return to the earth after the tribulation, you're supposed to be reigning in life right now because Jesus has made you royalty and you reign through Jesus. Jesus has made you royalty. You are to reign in this life and the one to come. Now go back to Galatians. Look at chapter 5 this time. And as we go through this entire message, remember your royalty. With everything that comes with it, the responsibility. Because, you know, royals aren't supposed to behave like everybody else. You know, because I've seen different stories when one of the royal family doesn't act the way that's becoming a royalty. They have a conversation with the queen. And all of a sudden, everything is straightened back out. Why? There's a certain standard royals are supposed to live to. Have you ever noticed they don't get bogged down in social media drama? Why? They're royal. They're not going to stoop below the dignity of their position. You're royalty. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Just because the world does it doesn't mean you need to do it. Never forget your royal identity. See, a lot of Christians live below their station in life because they've had identity theft. They've let the world and bad religion teach them that they're not worthy to receive what God made available toward them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, This I say then, walk or habitually make decisions that line up with the Spirit or li make living in the Spirit your lifestyle, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh here means the desire for what is forbidden. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. One of the things I shared last week, in the Greek, there's not a capital here. And so one of the things is when you look at the word spirit in the New Testament, since the New Testament is translated from the Greek, the context has to let you know if you're talking about the Holy Spirit or your human spirit. Because your flesh is not fighting the Holy Spirit, because if the Holy Spirit fought your flesh, he would win. So now it's talking about your inner man, your spirit, the real you, versus your body. Paul even talked about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, that sometimes I don't do the things that I want to do because my body says the real me wants to do this, but my flesh wins the situation. And so here he's saying your body and your spirit are fighting. The word lust in verse 17 is to have desires opposed to something. So your spirit has desires that are opposed to your body, and your body has desires that are opposed to your spirit, and they're fighting back and forth. And I said, well, who wins that fight? Who makes the decision who wins that fight? Some of you want to be real spiritual. Jesus makes the decision, but actually he doesn't. Your mind makes the decision. Your mind decides what you do. It's not your spirit. It's not your body. It's whatever your mind decides to go with. Your mind hears the voice of your spirit. 
Here's the voice of your body, and your mind makes the decisions. That's why it's important to renew your mind with the Word of God. After you are saved, you still think like you did before you got saved. And so you'll keep lining up with the ways of the world because that's what you're used to. But the thing is, that's why you have to get in the Word, come to church often, read the Word every day, listen to a message every day so that your mind is transformed by the power of the Word of God so you begin to think like God. You say, oh, it's impossible to think like God. No, if he let, you let Him teach you, you can think like Him. If you read His Word, let it get on the inside of you, and you listen to it consistently, you'll begin to think like Him. See, everything's by repetition. You know, the same way, you know, we teach kids the same thing. We say them the same thing again and again and again and again for them to get it. That's why God will tell you the same thing again and again and again so you can get it. It's part of renewing your mind. And so as we began to look, it says in verse 19, now the works or the action of the flesh or what the fallen nature produces are manifest. That word manifest means apparent, plainly recognized. So you don't need a degree in theology you don't need some deep revelation from heaven to know what the fallen nature produces. Paul says it's apparent, and he's about to help you out and give you a list. We looked at four of those things last week. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Those all have to do with sexual immorality. We defined them and walked through those last week and how those are seeds and what harvest they produce in your life. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to listen to it through our app or on YouTube or other ways. So let's keep reading the list, and I'm going to point out two from the list today. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in the time past, they which do such things or practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So two things I'm going to point out. The word for witchcraft is the Greek word pharmakia. It's the way we, where we get pharmacy. It's talking about drug use, mind-altering drugs. You see, in ancient pagan religions, certain drugs were used to contact their gods and become possessed by them. In certain temples, they would have in these pits these drugs only high, and they would take the priestess, and have her waver over the pit so she becomes high and she'd come back and speak in another voice. So it calls it witchcraft here because it was drug use to connect them to the spirit world. Then also the word drunkenness means an intoxicant or by implication, intoxication. So remember your royalty, right? Say, I'm royalty. Go to Proverbs 31. So Paul says, you can know if someone's in the flesh or not by their use of drugs and them being intoxicated. Oh, y'all quiet now. <laughs> you say, well, what if uh, weed becomes legal? That has nothing to do with you. Just because something is legal doesn't mean you need to do it. Because enough of you are doing it without it being legal. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 31. Verse 1. So we're really familiar with the last part of this chapter when it talks about the virtuous woman. But let's look at the first few verses. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. See, parents, it's important what you teach your kid. What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not your strength unto women. This one is talking about when you look at it, deeper sexual immorality and sleeping around with a whole bunch of people. Well, this last part of the phrase of verse 3, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. There are certain ways or certain lifestyles and choices that destroy kings. So she's teaching from early age, don't do the things that destroy royalty. If we are royalty, and we are, we need to make sure we avoid the ways that destroy royalty. How many agree with that? Verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Wow. So quiet. <laughs> to quote the founder and my mentor, it's so quiet in here, you can hear a mouse pass gas. <laughs> Why? Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. 
Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Verse 6 in the New Living Translation says, Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let's let that sink in a little bit. Let's let that marinate a little bit. Another translation that says, it's not good for kings to drink wine. He said, well, I don't drink wine. Then it says for princes to drink beer. So however you classify it, it's not for royalty. Give to the one who is ready to die. So she's saying, give it to the one who's dying. It'll make their suffering easier. Give it to the one who's not royalty. So what is the confession of your cup? When you're drinking every sip, you're saying, I'm not royalty. I'm broke. I'm ready to die. What is the confession of your cup? Because with every sip, you're denying your royal identity. You say, well, it says wine for people who are in bitter distress or those with heavy hearts. Let's go into that. People with heavy hearts who are far from God have no alternative to alleviate the pain of their hearts. But that's not you, Christian. That's not you, believer. You have Jesus. Don't go to a cheap alternative for what the Holy Ghost wants to do for your life. Go to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1 since y'all seem to need a few more scriptures on this point. <laughs> Isaiah 28. Verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride. And when the Bible talks about woe, it means judgment is coming. So woe to the drunkards of Ephraim. And so, like, well, who is Ephraim? These are the people of God. So he's not talking about to some people who don't know God. These are the people of God. Whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys, and of them that are overcome with wine. Verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. How do they err? Through wine. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through drinking beer. So he's not just talking about just the people... He's saying the leaders, the prophets of God, the priests have erred because they're drunk too. They are swallowed up of wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. If you err in vision, you can make bad decisions because you're not seeing straight. They stumble in judgment, not just walking when you're drunk, but the decisions they make are altered. Notice what the prophet says, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there's no place clean. The people of God erred through strong drinking wine. They made bad judgment decisions. They made bad calls. Now, judgment is coming their way because of the seeds they sowed. Remember, the justice of God, the judgment of God is you reap what you sow. And so, we've already seen that alcohol is not for the royal person. And you already said you're royal, right? So even if you could do some impressive hoop jumping, because I know some of you are jumping through some hoops right now in your mind. It's like, okay, that's for that person, but that's not for me. Well, that's for that person, but, you know, doesn't the Scripture say this? Doesn't this, this? You're doing some impressive hoop jumping right now. So even if you do some impressive hoop jumping to convince yourself and others that drinking isn't a sin because you're not drunk, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Number one, what is your motive to justify your actions with alcohol? What is your motive to justify your actions with alcohol? Why are you justifying it? Number two, why do you drink in the first place? Number two, why do you drink in the first place? Not now that it's a habit. What is the original decision that you made the decision to drink? While you think about that, go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. It 
says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Alcohol is deceptive. And as we saw in Isaiah 28, it can cause the people of God to err and make the wrong decisions. It's not for royalty. See, I saw this verse in Ecclesiastes I was reading through, and it said that the people are blessed when their king and their leaders go to feast to eat for strength and not to get drunk. They're saying your leader is blessed when he's not going to get drunk. So if you could do some impressive hoop jumping and convince yourself it's not a sin, the Bible just says you're tricked by it and you're not wise. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now Jesus says in the book of Luke, talking about his return and when he's coming back, he says, don't miss that day. He says, one through surfeiting, that means overcome with cares. But he also said through drunkenness. What, you can miss the rapture because you're drunk? That's what Jesus said. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine where is excess. The word excess means one who has lost his ability to save or to spare himself. It means a life lacks of morals. This is a person who wastes his life, squanders his money, or desecrates his body because he is drunk and cannot think straight. They have a mind that has been altered by excessive alcohol consumption, so this person thinks irrationally, acts irresponsibly, and commits acts of excess that they would normally not even be a temptation. What is this? It's a harvest of seeds of drunkenness. So he says, instead of being not drunk with wine where it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in the Amplified, do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, corruption, stupidity, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly guided by Him. Notice what Paul is doing in Ephesians 5. He's painting two different lives here. The one filled with the Spirit and the other filled with alcohol. See, too many Christians are singing, blame it. That they're making all these decisions and they blame it on the alcohol, they blame it on the honey, they blame it on the alcohol. That shouldn't be you. Well, yeah, you know, I, I did it. You know, I, I drunk too much last night. You like, well, I'm not drunk. Well, the only way you know what you're limited to being drunk is because you've been drunk before. And see, even if you can invent yourself and do some more hoop jumping and say it's not a sin, but what good biblically-based decisions in your life have started because you were drunk? How many people have DUIs and they didn't think they were drunk? They never planned to crash and harm themselves or others? You're not going to get a crash because you spend too much time praying in the Spirit. seeds and harvest. See, in this life, too many saints try to come through sipping when you should come through dripping. You are royalty. You're supposed to carry yourself such a, such a way. You're supposed to have a certain level of confidence because you're royalty. Don't discount your rule. There is a royal life and there's a drunk life. There's walking in the spirit and there's walking in the flesh. Please do not trade in your crown for your cup. Do not trade in your crown for your cup. I'll read you this commentary by Rick Renner. I saw he's a Greek scholar. He was talking about Galatians as well as Ephesians in these passages. He said, the consumption of wine for the sake of intoxication was common in the first century due to many pagan religions that employed wine as part of their religious practices. 
For example, the religion of Bacchus, whom the Greeks call Dionysus, was centered around wine intoxication. In fact, Bacchus was called the god of wine. Once the worshipers were completely inebriated due to their consumption of wine, they threw off all restraints and fully yielded themselves to every temptation of the flesh. Nothing was off limits. Plunging themselves into the most vulgar sexual excesses and unnatural acts, the participants attempted to breach every known moral code, committing the grossest extreme of sin possible in order to experience a realm of excess never before tasted or known to man. That was the deliberate goal of this religion. Hence, the participants were drawn into perverted and shameless orgies. While under the influence of wine, the people fornicated as the priests beat drums and clanged cymbals, adding to the rage, emotions, and uncontrolled passion of the moment. Other drugs were mixed together with the wine, which caused the participants to convulse or to dance in frenzied circles. This frenzied condition was called entheos, a compound of the word in and theos. The word in means in, and theos means is the word for God. Thus, if a person was entheos, he was in control of a God. He was in the control of a God. Interestingly, this is where we get the word enthusiasm. It was believed that when a participant fell into one of these uncontrolled, frenzied moments, he had passed the moral barrier and was now caught in the control of a god or a spirit. This entheos experience was the ultimate goal for those who participated in the religion of Bacchus. The consumption of wine was a key factor in this pagan religion. So notice what Paul is using here. He's pointing to two different lifestyles. The Christian life and the pagan life. He says, don't be drunk with wine where there's excess. Be filled with the Spirit. See, if you drink and do drugs for the buzz, for the temporary fix, or for an escape, it is wrong. You have the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God can give you a better escape and a lasting victory over whatever you're trying to distance yourself from emotionally and mentally through your drinking and your doing of drugs. So even if you can do a whole lot of hoop jumping and convince yourself, hear me again, if you're drinking and doing drugs to escape what's in front of you, that's wrong, that's sin. That's a sowing to the flesh. And there will be a harvest because what is the justice of God? Sowing and reaping. What is another harvest going to be? Something that's not royal. Because every sip you're sowing towards your flesh and the denying of your royalty. There is an amazing life, amazing spirit-filled life that drips royalty, power, joy, and peace. But you have to make the decision to be filled. Another way it says be filled here in the Greek says be being filled, so stay filled. Some people say, we're spirit-filled Christians. Yeah, you were filled one day, but are you still filled today? Do you do what it takes to stay filled on a regular basis? Do not settle for a cheap substitute knockoff of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit daily. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. It's all boiling down to the seeds that you sow. This is the year of abundant harvest. We're believing for a great harvest based on the seeds that you sow. And one of the things I share with you in June, one of the things the Holy Spirit shared to my heart Sunday morning I was getting ready, is that the last half of the year, people are going to see harvest of bad seeds that are going to sow. It's going to go up to another level. People, you're going to see it throughout the news and the world. You're going to see that harvest. But for us, the people of God who are sowing the right seeds, we're going to see an even greater harvest of the good things we've sown. John chapter 7, verse 37, in the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. When you come and spend time with God every morning while you're reading your word, while you're praying, while you're spending time praying in the Spirit, you're drinking in of the goodness of God. And you have to do that on a regular basis if you expect to be filled and fight off what goes on in this world. Go to Acts chapter 2. The spirit-filled life is a victorious life. It's the overcoming life. That doesn't matter what comes your way, you beat it. Now, I wish I could tell you that once you get saved, everything is easy sailing. Everything's going to be smooth. It's just skipping in the flowers with Jesus, but 
That's not real life. And that's not what the Bible promises. The Bible promises you victory, which means there's going to be some battles. But you should know before the battle shows up, you're already guaranteed victory. You just got to show up and fight. You can't win if you never show up to fight. You know, no one, you know, playing baseball, no one can hit the ball if it's still in the dugout. If they're still practicing on the side, they have to step up to the plate and swing. A lot of people may be up to stepping in the plate, but they never step out in faith. They never swing. You got to do what God tells you to do. It's like, well, what if I mess up? You will mess up. I'm telling you that there's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. I guarantee you, you will make mistakes as you follow God. But the thing is, as you're following him, he corrects it for you. You step out to walk in faith and you trip. He's got a safety net for you. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Jesus was walking on the water. All 12 disciples, at least, and may have been some other people in the boat as well, saw Jesus coming, and they were afraid. They said, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's me. Peter, for whatever reason, said, hey, if it's really you, he could have said, what's the secret code word? What's the password? You know, how many fingers am I held up behind my back? But he didn't. He just said, if it's you, tell me to come out there and meet you. So Jesus said, come on. You know, anybody could have walked on water with Jesus' invitation. The other 11 were still scared, so they stayed in the boat. So Peter walked out on the water and began to walk to Jesus. Right now, there's only two people in history that we know of that have walked on water, Jesus and Peter. So Peter made it a, little, a good distance. But as he was walking, he started looking at the wind and the waves. Now, the wind and waves didn't start after he started walking. They were gone the whole time. The issue was Peter took his focus off of Jesus. Before he was focused on Jesus, ignoring the wind and the waves, so he kept doing the supernatural. But when he began to pay attention to the wind and the waves and the storm that was going on, he became afraid and began to sink. And to say he sunk, he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And you know what Jesus did? He go, you took your attention off of me. You need to swim with the fishes for a little while. <laughs> he caught him. He said, well, Peter messed up. He tripped. But there was a safety net. See, it's impossible for you to walk out in faith and make a mistake and Jesus not catch you. Because at least you stepped out. At least you tried. At least you went for it. The 11 other apostles were happy in the boat. We can talk about Peter like, well, he shouldn't have doubted, but at least he walked. Because then Jesus looked at him after he got him and brought him up and says, Peter, why did you doubt? That's personal. Come on, Peter. You don't have to sink. You know me. I know you. Why did you doubt? And don't get too hard on Peter because at least he did it. So you might say, well, you know, Pastor, what you're preaching today is going to take a lot of faith for me not to get high after I leave church. <laughs> like, it's going to take a lot of faith for me to delete my drug dealer from my phone. It's going to take a lot of faith for me not to order a mimosa after church. <laughs> That's a lot of faith. Then use it. Take a step. Walk with him. He'll help you every single step of the way. See, nowhere in the Bible is God saying you have to do it all by yourself. He's saying you need to do it with me. I shared this in the first experience. He said, take my yoke upon you. If Jesus is saying take my yoke, it's your choice. But it's also when two oxes were yoked together, they're right next to each other. So what is Jesus saying? I'm with you, so work with me. You're not supposed to be doing anything in Christianity by yourself. Work with Jesus. Jesus has an offer, hey, it may seem challenging, it may seem tough, work with me. And see, the thing is, when oxen were yoked together, it was the strong one paired with the weak one. The strong one would suffer, which is why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with young believers. That's why you have no business dating people who aren't saved. Because it's not the person who's not saved who's going to suffer. It's going to be the saved person who's going to suffer. So when Jesus was saying, take my yoke, he's the strong one. He's already born, you're suffering. He's already died and gotten back up again. Jesus is saying, I can take it. Work with me. Put your weight on me because I'm the strong one. Because when you're yoked together with the strong one, you can say, well, I'm weak, but he's strong. 
That's why the weak can say, I'm strong because who they yoke with. The poor can say, I am rich because of who they yoke with. So nothing in Christianity are you doing by yourself. Everything that seems hard, everything that seems tough, everything that seems impossible, remember who you're yoked with. Remember you're connected to the strong one, the almighty God himself. Remember you're connected to the one who says all things are possible to him that believes, and nothing is impossible with God. Remember who you're connected to. Stop doing this Christian life by yourself. Do it with Jesus. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't live right by yourself. He's not saying get enough willpower, enough soul power to live right. You can do some things with willpower and soul power, but you can't do everything. But with Jesus, working with Jesus, anything he tells you to do, you can do. Jesus said, kept going in Matthew eleven thirty. 30. He says, my burden, my yoke, or my obligations, what I tell you to do, is light. It's easy. It's a better way of living. It's enjoyable. So work with me. Walk with me. Someone said, oh, this is a heavy load telling today, Pastor. No, we work with Jesus. light. And you begin to see your life begin to transform. And you all see how much money you save by not drinking and smoking. <laughs> Some of you have been believing for harvest. Your harvest show up. You start drinking beer all the time. Acts chapter 2. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know, my budget just freed up something. Look at Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Remember John 7 said he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And that fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter stands up. And verse 15 says, For these are not drunken as you suppose. Seen as but the, only 9 a.m. That means nothing today, but back then I guess it meant something. Now, the thing is, people don't think you're drunk because you speak different languages, even languages they haven't heard of. They only think you're drunk because you act and stumble around and give off the pressure you're drunk. The Holy Spirit came on them in such a way, with its fire and with its power, they were so filled, people said they resembled drunk people. So Peter didn't say they're not drunk. He says he's not drunk like you think they are. There is a being filled with the Spirit that bubbles over into joy that can affect your everyday life. And I was at youth camp last month, and on the last night, the Holy Spirit did interesting in every single meeting with you know, me and my wife and the youth pastor and his wife as we ministered to the kids. On that last night, the Holy Spirit was almost going, try me. Hey, taste and see the Lord is good. See, the biblical said, hey, just try me a little bit. And so the power of God would fall on one youth, and the power of God would just knock him to the ground, and the kids were like, huh, I think that's real. And they were like, they'd run up and say, me, me, me next. I want to try it. They were like, they had never seen it before like that. And so they said, what do I do? He said, lift your hands and say, Father, here I am. And the power of God will hit them. And to think, you know, there are some kids, I guess, who are uh, more of a challenge during camp, say it a nice way. When the Holy Ghost would deal with them, they would cheer. Like, ooh, they've been a challenge all week. Get them, Jesus! And then there were kids who came up for a second trip. So, ooh, that was good. I want some more. And there was one kid... <laughs> Bless his heart. He said, what did he say? He was something like, I got two times. I got the double special. And he said, yeah, the first time I was like, ooh, and the second time I was like, ah, it was awesome. You need to try it. So he would get other kids. Come on, come on, try it, try it. Get the Holy Ghost. And they're being filled with joy. Because, you know, the teenagers aren't going to fake. They're going to give you their honest opinion. And he saw the Holy Spirit move among them, being filled with joy, and God proved to them, yeah, I'm more real than you thought I was. This is what they're dealing, experiencing on the day of Pentecost. Such an outpouring that the 120 in the upper room had a very real realization that God is in this room with us. So Peter stood up and said, this is not drunk as you suppose, it's only 9 a.m., but what you see here is in the Bible, is in the book of Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and all my servants and all my handmaidens I'll pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
If this was available to the 120 in the upper room, it is available to you now. That you don't have to rely on drinking and doing drugs to get by in life. To have the joy or escape in your mind. You can receive from the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It's free. All you have to do is spend the time to receive from him. So what it's calling you to do is be a little bit more biblically responsible. Actually mark out time every day to pray in the Spirit. Actually mark out time every day to read your word. Not read your word out of religious obligation, but read your word because that's Jesus speaking to you. Actually take time to talk to God throughout the day because you're receiving from him, being filled up on the inside. And it doesn't matter what comes your way, you respond the right way. And you'll be surprised at how he responds. Wow, I didn't cuss them out. How did that happen? Man, Jesus, you really are in there. Now, what happened? You took some time and spent with him. So you act like who you hang around. You hang out with him, you act like him. And you can get to the point spending so much time with him, when people look at you, they do a double take. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I just saw Jesus. Because they did. Because he's with you, he's within you. You just have to take some time and spend it with him. And when you come before God, don't be fake. So, so many people have taken the truth of the word of faith and made it the word of fake. When you come into the presence of God, being fake is not faith. When you come into the presence of God, you acknowledge what you're going through, what you're dealing with right now. But the faith comes in because you're saying, I'm not going to stay there. Because the Bible says this. Your word says this. Although I'm feeling like this today, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling this. I'm not going to stay there, but because you said that I can have joy. You said I can be filled with your spirit. You said I have peace in my mind, that I can be strong. I can have all these things. So my faith lays hold to the promises of your word. So I say from now on, this is how I'm going to be. See, you acknowledge the reality of your situation, but you just began to change reality through the word of faith that you spoke out of your mouth. But a lot of people don't receive the benefits of the word because they live fake and not in faith. The only way you can live a lifestyle free from drinking and free from doing drugs, especially if you've done it before, is by faith. It's by laying hold to who God really is and believing that he can satisfy you better than the drink through any drug because that he's better. I remember I was watching this one Holy Ghost service from years ago, and there was a revivalist preacher, and he was laying hands on these students at a college campus, and the power of God was hitting them. And this power of God hit this one young man, and he's just drunk and filled with the Spirit. They pick him up off the ground, and, it, and the, uh, the revivalist put the mic in his hands. Like, what does it feel like? He said, man, whoo, this is better than weed. <laughs> well, apparently he's been smoking weed. <laughs> but God in his goodness showed him that with me it's better. See, our life is supposed to show forth that Jesus is better. One of the themes of the whole book of Hebrews is Jesus is so much better than. That's what our life is supposed to show, that Jesus is better, that I don't have to do what the world does in order to get by. That I'm in the world, I'm not of the world. So I don't need alcohol and drugs like the world needs. I can live a joy-filled life without it. Because Jesus is in me. Because a lot of people self-medicate. I want to be quiet on that one too. Because I got a couple minutes, you know. You may have prescription drugs that are prescribed to you because of an accident or something that happened. After that thing is recovered, get rid of it. Take it to the police station. They will dispose of it for you. Don't keep it in your house, especially if you're tempted that way. Don't be part of the opioid epidemic, that goes, epidemic that's going around. Get rid of those things. You don't need it anymore. Now, one of the dangerous things about that happens is sometimes people get addicted to it, and it wasn't their fault. They needed it for the time, but now they can't shake it. Be honest where you are. Get rid of it and come get help. Because sometimes Jesus will help you through others. You can be addicted to opioids because of medicine that's prescribed to you. We lay hands on you. We get you free right there. Don't do it on your own. Because Jesus also ministers through community. That's why you stay around believers who are full of faith in the Holy Ghost, who can help you and keep you accountable. That's how you don't always sow seeds to the flesh, because you have a community. You have other believers who will do life with you, because we're better together.
Last scripture before I close, Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a consuming fire. So whether this message is for you because of drink choice or drug choice you've been doing, you get close enough to God, all that stuff will burn away. This message wasn't to condemn anyone, but it was to give you an opportunity to live higher, an opportunity to be the royal person you really are, an encouragement not to trade your crown for a cup, to where you're not coming through sipping, but you can come through dripping, representing the fullness of your redemption. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Glory to God. Close your eyes for a moment and just think on Jesus. Think about him. Let him talk to your heart about some things. Let him talk to you because he will. He'll talk to you right now. We've talked to you the rest of the day and throughout this week about this one message. You'll keep bringing it to your mind. Because he won't make you do anything. He will always give you a choice. Now, wherever your head is bowed, everybody close in prayer. I'm not going to do the altar call right now. But you may be in here and says, you know, you know, Pastor, that message was for me. You know, I have been drinking, I have been doing drugs, I've been doing all these different things, but now I realize I'm not going to do it anymore. I choose to live above. I choose to live the life of royalty that my Father has made available for me. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye closed in prayer. No one's looking around to judge you. This is between you and God. If you say, that's me, so you know, I'm going to make a decision. If God helps me, I'm not going to do these things anymore. If that's you, lift your hand how I can see it. I'm just going to pray for you. If that's you, said, I'm making a decision. I'm not doing these things anymore. I see those hands. Just between you and Jesus, I'm not going to have you come up. I'm not going to pray for you as individuals. I just want you to make a commitment in your heart before God. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, Father, I pray for each and every one in here that's made this decision in this room or watching online or watching the replay that by your fire you minister deliverance to them and enable them to live the royal life. Now, Father, I know there's others that you're dealing with and they're struggling with this decision. I ask out of your mercy that you keep dealing with their heart, that you keep softening their heart, that you keep bringing this to their attention in such an encouraging way that helps them live the life you made available for them in the mighty name of Jesus. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. Now, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.